I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13 this morning. John in the 13th chapter. We'll start in verse 1. By the time we get to the 13th chapter of John, the apostle John has spent over half his gospel proclaiming Jesus as God in human flesh. Jesus as fully God and fully man. And calling the people to believe in him as Messiah and Savior. Despite the many signs and miracles Jesus performed in front of their very eyes, the most dramatic of which was the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the nation Israel has by and large rejected Christ as Messiah and Savior. Now, with chapter 13, we have a turning point. Jesus is turning from focusing on a public ministry to now spending intimate time with his disciples. Also, John 13 through John 17 covers a span of about 24 hours, whereas John chapter 1 through 12 covers a span of three years. So you can see the concentration and focus is bearing down, starting with John chapter 13. As John turns his attention to those closest to him, he is only hours, Jesus is only hours before the crucifixion. It is Thursday night, and they are gathered in the upper room of a home. The disciples are unaware that this is their last meal with Jesus And they are unaware that in less than 24 hours before Friday night arrives, Jesus will be crucified and buried. But as you will see in the very first verse, Jesus is fully aware of this situation. He fully understands his time of suffering and death is only hours away. And he begins his next few hours with his disciples with a dramatic and powerful act. The washing of their feet. It is a simple and humble act of service and love to the disciples that symbolically anticipates the washing and cleansing from sin that is soon to be accomplished by him at the cross. Follow along with me as I read John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, 
You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, we pray for your insight into it. I pray, Father, that you would give me the words to speak to clearly portray the meaning of this passage. I pray, Father, for your people gathered here together as your church. I pray that their hearts would be softened, that your Holy Spirit would use the Word to transform them and to change their lives. I pray, Father, that our lives would not be the same for this encounter with Jesus here this morning. pray, Father, that we would honor and adore you, that we would worship you, And that we would worship you not just in word, but also in deed. That we would see, Father, that Jesus himself served, putting no one above him. That he was humble in his service, and his service flowed out of love. Pray, too, Father, that our service would flow out of love for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Three points to our outline this morning. Point number one, Jesus displays great love, verses one to five. Point number two, Jesus saves his own completely. That's verses six to eleven. And point number three, Jesus provides the model for Christian conduct. That is verses twelve to seventeen. Well, let's jump right in. Point number one, Jesus displays great love for his disciples, verses one to to five. Verse one. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Notice Jesus, as fully God and fully man, is fully aware of what God's timetable is. And that his hour, his time of suffering, his time of death, his time of even returning to the Father had come upon them. He had sovereign knowledge of the plan and purposes of God in his death and resurrection. Because he knows he is going to depart out of this world and he is going to return to his rightful place in heaven with 
God the Father. He will return to the Father, having accomplished, accomplished the will of God. And His love extends to bearing the sins of those He loved on the cross, dying for their sins, dying for the sins of His people. The last part of verse 1, having loved His own, He loved them to the end. Those who are Jesus' own in this verse are His disciples. Those who follow Him. We're not talking about the world at large here. You can see John 15 and John chapter 10 to learn more about that. The object of the love of Christ in these verses is therefore not the lost world, but the people of God, the disciples and the followers of Christ. Those He is going to be spending time with in reality over these next few chapters. And He loved them to the end. That word end carries the idea of perfection. So he loved them to perfection. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them as much as you could love. He loved them ultimately is the idea of that word. You couldn't love more than Jesus. God himself loves these disciples. And in reality, this whole section is an expression of Jesus' love for His own, for His followers. He loved them to the end. The ultimate end of that, the end we're really talking about, the greatest expression of that love is clearly in mind here. And that is the cross. That is what these chapters and this day is driving towards is the cross. And as we shall see, in the act of love that is foot washing, there is the anticipation of the cross and the gospel. They are both present. Now we see a great contrast as we move to verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. A great contrast now between verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1, we have great love from Jesus. In verse 2, we have hatred from Judas. I think the contrast is obviously intentional. The idea of this verse is not to absolve Judas of the responsibility for betraying Jesus, but rather that the plot against Jesus, while carried out by wicked human beings, was at its core satanic in origin. It is a conspiracy of the devil with Judas to betray and arrest Christ with the ultimate outcome putting Jesus to death on the cross. Fulfilling God's plan and purpose for even Christ coming to earth. So we have the great contrast between the love of Christ and the hatred of Satan and Judas. Verse 3. While all this is going on, Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands. The Father had given all things into Jesus' hands. That means all power and authority over all things had been given to Christ. There was nothing that He could not do. Now, you and I faced with the opposition of Satan and Judas, knowing the plot that Jesus knew. For if you go down to verse 11, it says, For he, Jesus, knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. 
what would my human core, what would my, as a human being, what would I want to do? Well, I would want to bring divine judgment down upon them. I would want to destroy them. But that's not Jesus' reaction. For while he knew he had come from the Father, was returning to the Father, knowing he was on earth to fulfill the great plan and purpose of God, knowing he was ready and prepared to voluntarily suffer and die on a cross in just a short time from now, what does Jesus do? He responds in love with what is one of the most beautiful examples of love in all the Bible. Another great contrast is what we're going to see. Verse 4. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Notice the detail that John puts into this verse. Item by item, he talks about what Jesus does. This is important because what Jesus is doing is he is basically putting on the garb or the uniform of a lowly servant of the house. Now keep in mind, let's set the stage a little bit. The streets of Palestine are dirty and dusty. Paving doesn't come along really very much until we invent bicycles, okay, a long time later. The, the roads are covered with dust. If you've ever played baseball or softball on one of those fields that are just plain old dirt, you get the idea. You know, you get home and your feet, even though you have shoes and socks on, are filthy. Well, you can imagine if you were wearing the fashion of the day, which is sandals, what your feet would look like after you've been walking around. And now you go into somebody's house, you go to the upper room of this home or into anybody's house, it was considered an honor, it was considered the right thing to do, it was considered respectful to have one of your slaves, usually your lowliest slave, wash your feet before you'd come in. That way you didn't scatter dirt all over the place and your feet weren't dirty while you were there the whole time. So what Jesus is doing here is becoming like the lowliest slave in the house. He's putting on the uniform of the lowly slave. Well, you might ask, why isn't one of the disciples doing this? Wouldn't that make more sense? Yeah, it would make more sense. But there was a little dispute going on with the disciples at this time. Luke chapter 22, verse 24 tells us, that in the upper room a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be the greatest. So they're in the room all sitting around and they're debating about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. When Jesus comes to set up His rule, who's going to be top dog? That's not an environment that lends itself to doing humble and lowly service, right? You see, to wash one another's feet, to wash a peer's feet, to wash one of your friend's feet is to admit that you are subordinate to them. You are under them. To do this humiliating job of washing feet is degrading in a sense. 
The Jews even thought that Jewish slaves shouldn't have to do that. It should only be Gentile slaves that wash feet. But Jesus rose from supper, put on the clothing of a menial servant, to perform the service of the lowliest servant of the household. He is washing the disciples' feet. He is wiping them dry, getting the water off, and making sure they're clean. Truly a stunning, surprising, and beautiful picture of love of the disciples. Well, that brings us to verse 6 and point number 2. Jesus saves his own completely. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? The emphasis is on the word you and my in this sense. Peter understands, as probably all the rest of the disciples did, that this is really inappropriate. That our leader, our teacher, our Lord should not be washing my feet. No doubt the rest of the disciples were embarrassed that their Lord, their leader, was washing feet like a slave. But it seems nobody said anything until we came to Peter. I've heard it said that Peter has a foot-shaped mouth. Okay? He's not afraid to get right out there and say what he's thinking. And he says it right here. What are you doing? What are you doing, Lord? Washing my feet? Verse 7. Jesus answers him. What I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Jesus stops Peter. Gently answers him. Jesus suggests Peter just trust him, be patient, and you'll understand later. Essentially, Peter is ignorant of the truth. That's what Jesus is really saying. You don't understand. But he said it in a really nice way. Do you think Peter got it? No. What's he say next? Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. It's one of the strongest ways you can say no in the Greek. No, never, never, ever will you wash my feet is what he's saying to Jesus. Jesus gave him a gentle answer, so Peter amped it up a little bit, didn't he? Yeah. Well, Peter's in for a surprise. Jesus responds, last half of verse 8. Jesus answered him. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus' response moves from moves this discussion from talking about cleaning dirty feet to one of spiritual and eternal significance. Notice Jesus' answer does not say, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
And by the way, Jesus' statement here is always true. If Jesus does not wash you, you have no share with him. Jesus moves from talking about physical washing to talking about spiritual cleansing here. He's just taken this conversation he's having with Peter and he's taken it to a whole other dimension. We're not just talking about dirty feet anymore. Jesus says, unless you accept my humiliation, you cannot be cleansed by me. Unless the Lamb of God has taken away a person's sin, has washed that person, he or she can have no part with Christ. If you do not follow Christ, if you do not allow Christ to wash you, you cannot be clean. The stain of sin remains. Apart from Christ, you are lost without forgiveness of sin. You are without hope. You see, the washing of feet by Jesus is a humble act of service and love to the disciples that symbolically anticipates the washing and cleansing from sin. It is an inward cleansing Jesus is speaking of here. Jesus is really talking about what's going to happen over the next 24 hours. Interesting, Peter's response to this in verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. When, when Peter realizes the seriousness of what he's done, he's saying, Lord, give me a bath. You know, hit me with a fire hose. Let's go. I can't be separate from you. Peter sees at this point that I'm in a serious situation here. He says, go ahead, Jesus. Do it all. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. This is important. This is important. Jesus responds by saying a man who is bathed does not need to wash again, as he is completely clean. Jesus is saying that the cleansing from sin he brings is a once-for-all act. If you have been cleansed of sin by Christ's atoning work, you are clean and will remain clean. This is a point the writer of Hebrews makes repeatedly. Turn to the book of Hebrews towards the back of your Bible in chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. We're going to look at about three passages in the book of Hebrews. All making the point that this sacrifice that Christ is going to provide on the cross is a once-for-all sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice for sin is once-for-all. It is not like the sacrifice of the Old Testament priests who daily and repeatedly, year after year, entered the temple to offer sacrifice for sin. 
The sacrifice of Christ was a one-time sacrifice that forgives all sins, past, present, and future, for all time. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Pretty clear, isn't it? Chapter 9. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he's talking about heaven here, verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Turn over one more chapter, chapter 10, verse 10. In case you're not getting it, the writer of Hebrews is going to hit you with it again. Hebrews 10, verse 10. And by that will, referring to the will of God, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In the temple where the Old Testament priests served, there was no place for him to sit down. His job was never done. He offered sacrifice day after day, week after week, year after year. When Jesus completed his sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God because his work was finished. That's why at the cross, Jesus' last words is, It is finished. Jesus is driving that point home to Peter and the disciples. And he's using foot washings to illustrate what's about to happen. We are positionally clean in Christ. Our position before Christ, before God, because of what Christ has done, is we are seen by God as clean. We have been declared righteous. We have been justified before God. Now, we are not righteous. We are still sinners. Practically, we still sin. Even though we are new creatures in Christ, we've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we will not be perfect until we are in glory with Him. That's when sin will be totally gone from our lives. Let's turn back to John 13. Jesus is going to talk a little bit about that as well. One little phrase we want to talk about yet. Let's notice in verse 10. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, 
but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, except for his feet. Picture daily life during the time of the Gospels. A man would bathe in the morning, he would clean himself all up, and then he'd go out for the day and he'd visit a business, visit a friend, go to a home. What happens to his feet while he walks from place to place? They get dirty, don't they? They get dusty. Well, the picture is of us walking through our Christian life. And while the character of our life should not be one of sin, the character of our life should be one of righteousness as God's child. Once in a while, we will sin. We will fall into sin. We will be selfish. We will be self-centered. We will try to manipulate other people for our own ends. We will sin. And when that happens, where do we go? What do we do? We have to go right back to Christ, don't we? We have to go right back to the cross. We have to go right back to the gospel. Because we need our feet dusted off a little bit. So we confess our sins. We go before the, we go before the Lord and we're broken. And who heals us? It's Christ. He is there for us to love us, to comfort us, to intercede with us before the Father. He is our advocate defending us. Christ does that as well. He cleans our feet as we daily walk as Christians. For just like when we first believed and we trusted in Christ... So as we get our feet a little dusty in the journey of life, we must return to the Savior who provides ultimate and complete cleansing. Notice the end of verse 10 and verse 11. Jesus says to Peter, and I'm assuming the other disciples over here, and you are clean but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. We have no indication here that Jesus didn't also wash the feet of Judas. As an act of love, Jesus washed the feet of Judas. So why would he say, Not all of you are clean. I think he's still offering Judas repentance, forgiveness, to turn from his path. I think he's still showing love towards Judas. Otherwise, why would he wash his feet? Why would he say this? It's one more chance for Judas to turn. Indeed, Jesus saves his people completely. Once and for all. Point number three. Jesus provides the model for Christian conduct in verses 12 to 17. Verses 12 to 14. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, rabbi and master, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. You see, this act is symbolic of what disciples ought to do for one another. This is what followers of Christ, Christians, Christians ought to do for one another, is what he says. This is really a demand for believers to act like Jesus. A demand for Christ-likeness in our lives. To exhibit Christ-likeness in our service to one another. Now, some treat this as an ordinance of the church. Some treat it just like baptism and communion. But that's really not the meaning here. The idea here is to really do it in the same manner as I do, like I do, not do exactly the same thing I do. It's not a command to do foot washing. It is an illustration of humility in love. Now, there's nothing wrong with foot washing. It can be a beautiful service. But my guess is most people that go to do foot washings today go with very clean feet. This is not an ordinance of the church. It might be something good to do sometimes. But the point of the passage is not wash one another's feet. It wouldn't make sense in our culture anyway. The point of the passage is to be humble in service out of a motive of love for one another. That's the point. Verses 16 and 17. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Let that sink in a little bit in light of what has just happened. Really, what it's saying is failure to follow the pattern of Jesus is to exalt yourself above him. It's to say you are greater than the master because you don't have to do what the master does, do you? If you do not follow Jesus' example of service, if you do not serve others in this way, you are in effect saying, I am greater than my master, greater than my Lord, greater than Jesus. And it's not just about doing What's the last part of that verse talk about? Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. We are messengers. We are messengers with the message of the gospel to share. If we don't follow Jesus' example of service, if we don't serve others in this way, you are saying, I am not a messenger of Jesus. I am not a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus. I am not his ambassador which is in effect saying, I'm not his follower. I'm denying him before men. Pretty serious stuff. 
Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you doing. A blessing is pronounced on those who love others and serve them in this way. So while Jesus' washing of feet of the disciples was shocking to his disciples, and while it displayed to them his deep love for them, it was not half as shocking as what was about to happen. The idea of Christ dying a hideous and shameful death Death on a cross, the kind of death a common criminal is subject to, is even more shocking and will shock the disciples. But both of these events, the foot washing and the crucifixion, are very similar. Both events, a revered and exalted Messiah, took on the role of a despised servant, for the good of others. Add in the notion of cleansing, the cleansing of feet and the cleansing of sin, and you begin to understand why foot washing points so clearly to the cross and why Jesus starts his last hours with his disciples in this way. But service to others cannot be just this. If the foot washing and the cross are motivated by the love of Christ, Those whom he has cleansed must be characterized by this same love and therefore by the sacrifice of self in the service to others. All of this is motivated by a love of Christ and and on the bedrock of the gospel of Christ. How are you doing with that? Are you engaged in humbly serving others? I invite you to examine your service to Christ in light of Jesus' service to his disciples. I remind you of Jesus' words from verse 15. You also should do what I have done to you. You say, well, I don't know where to serve. Lots of opportunities. God has your eyes open to him. Serve in the cleaning ministry. Serve in the outdoor maintenance ministry. There's a lot of grass to mow. You can serve in the benevolence ministry. There's some things around here that people do that are pretty much the lowest of the low. Cleaning out toilets when they're stuck is pretty low. Cleaning the deer carcass out by the dumpsters when people dump them there, that's pretty low. But it pales in comparison to some of the things you have to get involved with and how you have to humble yourself when you're engaged in loving people. Get engaged in people's lives. Love them. Serve them. Out of a love for Christ. Two more passages I want to share briefly. Later in John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus is still speaking. Just a few minutes later, John thirteen thirty four, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
What will happen in this church if we love like that? Wow. I sometimes think Paul had this section in mind. I thought this this week as I was working through the passage. When he wrote Philippians chapter 2. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Pay very close attention to the words and how they seem to always be married up with the foot washing in John 13. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we rejoice this morning in Jesus Christ. We praise Christ for what He has done, for who He is, for His work on the cross, for washing us clean, Lord. We are amazed. It is beyond anything we can imagine. The love of Christ is both surprising, astonishing, and beautiful. And Father, we do not deserve it. We do not deserve your mercy. We do not deserve your grace. We are sinners unworthy of you, but yet you have loved us even when we were your enemies. Lord God, I ask that we would serve like Jesus, that we would do what he has done for us to one another that we would do that out of a motivation of a love for you in order to proclaim Christ to one another and to the world in which we live, to be your ambassadors, your messengers, with the greatest message that has ever been on this earth, the message of love in Christ, that Christ died for our sins and that by believing we might have eternal life. In the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.